welcome to the Supergirl Supercast. I'm Trishy Matson, And I'm David Schaub. And today we're discussing Season 5, Episode 5, Dangerous Liaison. Why don't you tell us what happened? Lena and Kelly have their dataversary. Kelly is triggered by Alex being in danger, or is she subconsciously feeling incepts? Motorcycle helmets are gifted. Leviathan makes a move. Andrea launches her contact lens-based second life clone. Hara tells Alex and John about William, but not Nia, because secrets. Luckily, the DEO isn't much of a secret, as everyone visits. After painful scenes with the captured airbender and spiders, we learn about Ripor, who is obviously William's dead friend. Ripor steals parts for a fusion gun to heat up Antarctica, creating a big wave and a water geyser. Nia does something to save the America's Pacific coastline, and Kara and John save coastal cities by flying in circles. This strange Leviathan plot isn't Andrea's, but she is involved. Lena makes a deal with Malefic, which she's smart enough to renege on. After Malefic incepts some mean alien animals at 38.505 biohertz, Lena can now green eye incept too. <laughs> Alright, well, first of all, I just want to say I knew it would be a bad idea to have people using virtual reality contact lenses, because as we see, when a tidal wave threatens the city, a lot of people don't even notice because they're off in VR land. I'm sure Kara is very disappointed in them. I don't understand it, but to be fair, I don't understand a lot in this episode. I'm truly hoping my recap does not imply that this episode is either interesting or makes any sense. Yeah. <laughs> I came off of last episode being pretty happy. I liked last episode. This episode, about half the scenes, my notes say, nothing here happens of any importance. <laughs> There's about half an episode of material here, and it's just sort of puffed out to try and fill an episode. Oh my. Mm, yeah, and a lot of it seems like it wasn't even half trying anyway. Riproar is just a silly name for a villain, but it also was painfully obvious that R.R. Riproar was R.R. Russell Rogers, so I'm glad they didn't try to drag that out over more episodes. I'm glad they went ahead and revealed it this time. They dragged it out over too long in this episode. <laughs> it was painful. And then we have them doing their little investigation and breaking into an office and finding basically nothing just so we can have a flashback that we don't even need. Yeah. Oh, this episode. Right. And it was also Gara saying, oh, I just happened to check this false panel and find all this stuff. It's like, you know, William Day knows that Supergirl lives in this city. <laughs> <laughs> Kara could have tried harder to hide that she has abilities. She could have just said, I opened the thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I found basically nothing, which they seem to make a big deal of. I don't understand a lot of what happened in this episode. I don't understand the 38 point whatever bio hurts, why that is suddenly the key to controlling everybody and everything. Well, that at least is consistent because everything that Hope and Lena were previously discussing was about their problem with their technology was they didn't know exactly what frequency to use. So the frequency, that number, is the MacGuffin of their plot line, and they get it. We don't see a repercussion on Kelly, maybe, but 
hard to say there, but basically it's just a MacGuffin. They needed a thing to get from Malefic. They got that thing. I was so happy to see Lena reneging on the deal, though. That was nice. Yeah, she uh, just straight up gave her word and broke it. That's uh, interesting. I don't know if we've actually seen that before from her, but apparently she has decided that Malefic is not the kind of person that you need to worry about betraying just because he's an awful person, maybe? Or maybe she's allowed to break her word. It's just other people retaining her that are the problem. I don't think attacking Lena for hypocrisy is a productive thing to do. <laughs> she's pretty far down that path. <laughs> she may not even realize it. So much of this episode was, was weird and strange. The episode starts with all of the ads for the Obsidian North VR world. They're really bad. They kind of make Second Life look good. They're so boring. I don't know why anyone would want to join this artificial VR universe if all you get to do is juggle and dance. Yeah, I mean, apparently it's I want to be in a field with flowers is the most creative thing anyone has thought to do of it. And of course, that's a pretty cheap effect. <laughs> it was super cheap. You know, we're not seeing anybody going into their Dungeons and Dragons campaigns and playing out VR there. That would be more interesting, but that would cost a lot more money. <laughs> exactly. Where are the avatars? <laughs> to a degree, I don't know if what we were seeing was a failure in the budget or a failure in imagination. I don't know which. I think both are probably a factor because it feels like this episode was trying to not spend money. Mm -hmm. Or at least they were trying to spend money on water effects, I should say. <laughs> it's an effect I could have lived without. I mean, I, I would almost have been okay with just people saying there's a water spout coming, you know, and not even showing it. <laughs> the wave. Oh, the wave. Oh, we'll get there. There are a few other things sort of getting there. We see Kara and Nia interacting. Can someone please explain to me why Nia can't know? I found that seriously annoying. <laughs> That's just Alex gets to know. John gets to know. But we get to have secrets again. It's just so, it was so unnecessary. It was entirely unnecessary. Like most of this episode, entirely <laughs> unnecessary. <laughs> I'm not sure if the illogic in the episode comes directly from it also being unnecessary. I could easily do with a shorter season if we could cut out episodes like this that are just progressing us down the track of plot development for later. Well, they did give us a bad guy for longer than 45 seconds, so they're back to making the baddie of the week a little more involved, but they've now taken away any personality and gave him this backstory that was maybe supposed to be a mystery, I don't know. When John was talking to Kara and Kara was trying to explain, I think they were like hanging a lantern on the secret keeping rules, <laughs> and Kara says, I can't talk about this with anyone but you and Alex. I swore to William I'd keep it secret, even from Nia. <laughs> but honestly, I'm going, really, Kara? Honestly? <laughs> These words are coming out of Kara's mouth, and none of them make any sense, but they're basically just a lantern for why they're doing this secret hiding in this way. Yeah, and it's just going to cause friction between Kara and Nia later, deservedly. Yep. And it's, we don't need it. Didn't need to be that way. Later in that same scene with John and Kara, Kara goes off on the strange rant where she says, and now, with Obsidian Tech everywhere, everyone's just in their make-believe worlds, and it's hard to know what's real anymore. 
Ah, oh, so heavy-handed and not even sensical. It's, it's implying that Kara's having difficulty recognizing reality because other people are in VR. Everything about that scene with Kara and John annoyed me. <laughs> <laughs> and then John gives sort of the most painfully trite and unhelpful answer imaginable. I don't even remember what it was. It was too boring. Yeah, I'm afraid a lot of this episode was boring and did not stick very well in my mind. I've been like rereading my notes trying to figure out what to say about the episode. And it's not really <laughs> not working out too well. It just kind of bounces off. A surprisingly small amount of things happened. Because mm -hmm. then we finally get them all going into the DEO. And for some unknown reason, they bring a international reporter into the DEO. And yeah, sure, sign the NDA, fine. And then they go and they have a couple of these interviews with the baddies of the week, mm -hmm. the spider and the, and the airbender named Breathtaker. I'll give them stupid names. It is a comic book show. But the interviews are so hard to watch. There was one thing that I liked in this episode, and that was um, when Kelly saw Alex uh, risking her life during the Tidal Wade episode and got a bit freaked out by that. And then she was crying in the bathroom, and she says that uh, she almost saw Alex die, and uh, her fiancé died fighting on the front lines, and this brought all of that back, and she has a feeling of dread that she can't shake, which may or may not be just her being intelligent about the situation they're in, or it may be connected to her new sort of powers of being linked to Malefic. But anyway, Nia basically offers her friendship to Kelly, and they agree to have lunch. And I liked that little moment. I like when people on the show who are not Supergirl connect with each other and talk about things. Um, so I just liked that moment. That moment was perfectly reasonable. It has a nice mystery to it because we don't know whether Kelly's being in fact impacted by the incepting that's going on. She probably is. Maybe Lena's dungeon is so shielded that the incepting only just barely gets through giving Kelly a feeling of dread. A lot of that scene works in a lot of ways and both Nia and Kelly, their performances were really good for that scene as well. Mm -hmm. So did you have any scenes that you liked? Ooh. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. I like two things. I liked the idea that Kara is taken down by something that's basically giving her too much sun energy. Mm -hmm. Therefore, she's overloaded by it to a degree. He gets a lucky shot on Supergirl and the weapon is powerful enough that it sort of overflows her body with heat and solar energy and it therefore knocks her out. And I think that worked really well. My favorite line was between Alex and Brainy when they were trying to figure out where the wave was going to damage. And Alex asks, what part of the Pacific coast? Brainy says, all of it. <laughs> Which I really liked, but then they destroyed it entirely with the Nia scene at the end where she blasts a little bit of a wave in front of her. And that apparently saves the entire coastline of the entire Americas. Oh. Really? You know, spoiler, I did not like when uh, they said all of the Pacific Coast and then they just showed the North American Pacific Coast on the map. They ignored the rest of the Pacific Ocean. Right. <laughs> There's a lot of other countries there and Australia would have probably gotten hit first. Maybe it was targeted a little bit, but yeah, the show does tend to be a little focused on its target audience as to what things affect who. Mm -hmm. I also was interested a little bit by the William Day thing. We see him tearing into Andrea about, you know, Russell is dead because of you, what's going on? And then, you know, it's very quickly shown that this is just his daydream, but he wants 
to confront Andrea. And Kara talks him down, saying that you know, she was patient about Lex Luthor and that worked out all right. But then later in another conversation, she says, um, I almost waited too long with Lex Luthor and I don't want to repeat that mistake. So it's a little inconsistent. There really isn't a lot connecting Andrea. Mm -hmm. and I think they're both maybe so biased because she's just so horrible as a boss. They just need something to actually connect it because really they don't get anything in this episode. We do, but they don't get anything really to connect Andrea. And in fact, they even get a suggestion that this is ridiculous because this attack on the coastlines would have done so much damage to Obsidian North. Right. I still have no idea what this was even supposed to do. The Leviathan woman told Rip War that they are going to change the world. I guess raising the sea levels and that can change the world. I don't know what that was going to accomplish. Yeah, I don't see how that leads to more profit for anybody. I guess I can see how it could lead to more power for somebody. If, you know, catastrophe creates a power vacuum, then Leviathan could be ready to step in and handle stuff. It's possible. And we'll see Leviathan going forward. This, as their first move, was pretty out there. Yeah. We'll see going forward. I don't know. It just seemed bizarre. But it does take the evidence away from Andrea in this case, even though we do find out that, yes, she is certainly connected to the Leviathan woman. Mm -hmm. uh, so what did you think of the fun they decided to have with Brainy? The spider thing where he lets himself be infected by the spider alien creature and then turns kind of mean, but it doesn't last. Yep. I would have liked to have seen it either be more or not at all. It seemed like a weird kind of half-hearted takeover of him and then they just kind of shrugged it off. I agree. It is both too much and too little, um, like a lot of this episode. And also it really, like so many things, wasn't necessary. They could have gotten everything from Breathtaker. They didn't need to have this conversation anyway. I thought at first when they were discussing the idea that he was going to pretend to be a bro assassin like they've used for him in some other interrogations where he pretends to be one of the baddies. And it was hard to see how he could make that convincing. And then they ended up not going in that direction after all. But it did give me a pleasant memory. <laughs> I kind of was amused by Bernie having a polygraph filter to stop parts of his brain from lying. Yeah. I'm sure Wonder Woman's creator would be proud. <laughs> it still doesn't make any sense, but... Yeah, and there's, there's no way that something like that could be abused, right? <laughs> <laughs> well... That's really about all I have to say about this episode. Is there anything else you want to discuss? I will add a little super science-y thing. Just to note that according to their math, I think the gun produces heat of about 1 billion Celsius. It's a fair name for it being a fusion gun, because I think at that temperature, anything it hits might actually fuse. It could actually be quite exciting. <laughs> that sounds like a remarkably dangerous gun. But really, as super science goes, I can let most of this pass. <laughs> I like that they're being consistent with biohertz. It's a thing. It's a unit they're going to use for the season. We'll never hear of it again in later seasons. But at least they're being consistent about it. And I actually quite liked the search for a specific frequency in biohertz. And, and I think actually that worked reasonably well. Yeah, well, at least they didn't spend a huge amount of time on it. Okay, well, tonight on TV, I saw a commercial for Crisis on Infinite Earths. 
starting on December 8th, and I was pleased that they actually showed Brandon Ruth and other people that we'll be seeing when that starts in the crossover. So, once again, happy to be looking forward to the crossover, which I totally was not expecting at the end of last year's crossover. Well, last year's crossover existed only to give us this year's crossover. (laughs) So, hopefully that massive ramp up will make it worth it. I'm about halfway through reading the uh, original Crisis on Infinite Earths comic. Mm -hmm. It is a thing. (laughs) I will be sure to finish it before the ninth episode, which is when, of course, we get all of the crossover episodes. Mm -hmm. So we are most of the way there. So three to go, and then we'll have the crossover, I think. I also have hope for it. I think it will actually help that they have as it were, a moderately small cast versus what they tried to do in the comic. Mm -hmm. It could work reasonably well. I really don't quite know what the world is going to look like afterwards. The benefit of these crossover events beyond just being a massive marketing campaign, which seems appropriate for this show, (laughs) they are also a means of resetting and changing the universe. Mm -hmm. Historically, of course, it was used to chop all the DC universes down to just one universe, and we currently are in two universes, maybe three. Black Lightning really doesn't quite feel the same as the rest of the Arrowverse. So it'll be interesting to see how much they change beyond just ending Arrow. Yep. And I am hoping that episode five will be just a blip and that we'll get back on track with some better episodes soon. We do now have a new actor, which I'm assuming we will continue to see for Malefic, which was uh, nice to see. Hopefully this one sticks and we don't just change the actor for Malefic every single episode. (laughs) It would be nice to get some consistency there. I don't know. I kind of see an attraction and having a whole lot of... (laughs) (laughs) actors get to do a one-day part for Malefic, but... uh... It takes a while for actors to warm up to parts sometimes. Uh (laughs) Until next time, I'd like to thank the Incomparable Network for hosting us. I'd like to thank you for another good conversation. A little shorter than usual, but that's just how the episode shook down. (laughs) We gave this episode as much as it was worth. I look forward to another one being better. That's right. Thank you. And of course, I would like to thank you, the listeners. If you would like to continue the conversation with us about maybe not this episode, but anything else in this season, or your thoughts about the future, we're on Twitter at SG Supercast, and we're on the Incomparable Members Slack channel. Thanks again. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.